ministries pastor here at the Hyde Wesleyan Church and Sunday mornings are my favorite day of the week. I love coming to church. I love it. It makes me feel like I'm in like a family reunion and with all the people that I love, right? And so it makes me just so happy and I feel that I hope that you feel very loved when you walk through these doors too and that you want to be here as well um, and it makes you feel like a family reunion that there's people here that love you. Today we are going to talk about does it even matter? Does it even... <laughs> he did not know that that was going to happen and the first service I was like Oops, should have maybe told him. <laughs> it matters. His face matters to me. <laughs> And so does it even matter? Does it matter the big things, the small things that we do? There's so many things that happen in this world right now that are falling apart and just, it just can be very dark and ugly. And the things you do, sometimes it doesn't seem like they matter. It doesn't seem like you make a difference at all. Um, but today I'm here to tell you that it does make a difference. There's a big picture out there for all our small little things that we do and it matters. Right here in the sanctuary, every Wednesday night, there's Kid Blast. Kid Blast has about 40 to 50 kids that come, and a lot of them are not church kids. And when I say church kids, I mean they don't come here on Sunday morning. They learn about Jesus on Wednesday, and that's it. And it is something special to see these kids come in. And I don't know every one of the kids' home life, and I don't want to, to be honest with you. It's hard, and it's not always good. And I, my heart doesn't handle it well. But we do have two little kids that come. And I have great leaders that come. And they are most moms and dads. And so when I say this, to preface something else, so you'll know that why moms and dads are important in this. And they come and they are leaders and they're helping. So I had these two little kids. And this one little boy, he wasn't playing the game one night. And the one leader said, why aren't you playing? Don't you feel good? And he said, no, I don't feel good. And the mom in her said, did you poop today? And he said, mm-hmm, I did. And she said, well, what's going on? Did you eat something that wasn't good? Did it, did it upset your stomach? And that's when he told her he didn't eat. There's many nights that he comes here, him and his sister, and they don't eat. And they're hungry. And they don't want to play a game. They don't really want to do anything. They're sick. They're hungry. And so when the leader told me, I said, okay, we'll get them some food. And we have like 10 6th and 7th graders that come that night to help with these kids, which is amazing. And I pulled two of them and I said, hey, will you go in the kitchen and just talk to them while they're eating? And we grabbed them some, some stuff to eat. And they ate and they felt loved. And now on Wednesday night, <clears throat> I don't even have to say anything. I have leaders that just go in the kitchen with them. I'll walk by and there they are, loving them. But... I have something else really cool about this story. I have a friend that every Wednesday night, her and her two boys come to Kid Blast. And when they do, they stop at McDonald's first. And they eat their dinner. I think it's great. I go there like five times a week, so I think it's great. She takes them once. And so she noticed. I didn't have to tell her that these kids were hungry. She paid attention. And so she messaged me and said, hey, I'm at McDonald's, and do you mind if I grab two extra meals and bring them. Of course you can do that. And you know what? She brings two extra meals with her on Wednesday nights to feed those kids in case they're hungry. Just in case. 
And you know what? She never has to talk to them. She doesn't tell them about Jesus. She's not one of my youth, my kid leaders that night. But she stays here with her two boys. And she saw it. And so she doesn't have to tell them about Jesus. She doesn't even have to have a conversation with them. They might not even know who she is. But she is making a difference in their life. She is loving them without saying a word. And right here in this place, those two little kids are having a need met. And they are seeing Jesus. Through her actions, they're seeing Jesus. And trust me, these little things that she's choosing to do are going to have a big effect on these kids. One day, they're going to remember that. And what God has started in their heart, he's not going to stop. And they get to recognize that because of someone that didn't even say anything, just does it. I also get to work with the kids in the, in the kids' room, and it is so fun back there. I don't know, last week I felt like Seven was probably going to, Pastor Seven was probably going to give me a talking to, because we were pretty loud. I thought you guys might have been able to hear us. So we have a lot of fun, but in all that fun, I get to meet all the parents, and a lot of them I get to have great relationships with. And so there was a parent for the turkey chase um, this year, is on Thanksgiving Day, and me and my girlfriend, we do it every year, but we were in the back because we're a little bit slower. And another woman was a little bit ahead of us, and she came back to tell me something. And she said, I just need to tell you what you're doing. And I said, what am I doing? She said, I gotta thank you. Like, my son is doing something amazing. And she started telling me, so I have to just remind you right now, it's not what I do, it's what God does. It's not what I do, it's what all the leaders in this church do. It's not what they do, it's what God does, and it's what she does at home with her son. So she tells me that at school, there's a little boy with disabilities in her son's class. And her son is very popular. He's a nice kid, he's popular in school, he has friends, but he takes time every day to eat lunch with this little boy to sit with him and to eat lunch with him and to hold his hand down the hall so he's not alone, so he can feel connected with a friend and not left out. And all his friends are doing something else, and this is what he's doing. He's choosing to love. He's choosing to love someone that he doesn't have to, right? Other people aren't. Other little kids aren't doing it. And I mean little kid. I'm talking, he's this big, you guys. He's this big. He's little. But he's learning about Jesus, and he loves him so much, and he wants to tell other people about him. She didn't say that he tells this little boy about Jesus, but he shows him Jesus every day by loving him. And now these stories are not unique in any way, right? People do nice things all the time. There's the pay it forward, you go through the line at McDonald's, and I use McDonald's a lot, Um, and you pay for the person behind you, and they pay, and it just keeps going, and it's great, and it feels good. But it's not unique. People are doing it all the time. People are always doing nice things for other people. What's unique about these two, this little boy that helps someone with disabilities to make them feel wanted, this mom that feeds hungry children, just like the Bible tells us to do, neither one of them told me those things. So I would stand here today and tell you about them. They did it because they loved Jesus. And they want other people to love him too. And they want to spend eternity with these people. And that's important. And it's this little thing, this little act of love, this little little act of service, this little thing that they're doing that has this great big effect. Trust me, that little boy in school, he is affected by what this boy does. 
He goes home and he's happy. He feels loved. It's important. Have you ever done anything nice and not put it on Facebook? <laughs> that Dan's laughing back there. <laughs> Have you ever done something nice and went home and told your husband or your wife or your best friend or your kids what you did? Have you ever looked at your innermost being and even if you didn't say something, you wanted to? I've done it. And why do you do it? Is it to tell people how good you are? That you did a good thing? Sure it is. It's not necessarily the, with the thing you did, but that you're good. Because we want people to know that we're good. So whether it's good or bad, in our heart, what's happening is important. It, it just radiates from us. It's important. These things that we do, these small little things, have a big effect. Ripples, ripples, ripples. In the Old Testament, I'm going to tell you about two different people. Little characters in the Old Testament. <clears throat> Moses, who's not a little character, is part of this first one. And God had instructed him on how he was supposed to go and free his people. <clears throat> Even though Moses was reluctant, this thing is driving me nuts. <laughs> um, even though he was reluctant to go and do this, he still, he went and he took his wife Zipporah with him and his son. And it says in Exodus 4, 24, that on the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Are you kidding me? He just told him how to free his people. He gave him all these directions and now he wants to kill him? That doesn't even make sense. Why would he do that? Why would he want to kill Moses after he's just sent him out? In Exodus 4:25 through 26, it tells us, Then Zipporah, his wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he, God, let Moses go. And then she said, You are a husband of blood because of circumcision. So what happened here? In the Abrahamic covenant God made, he said that they had to, anyone of Abraham's seed had to be circumcised. And if you didn't do that, then that was death. Sin is death. Not obeying God is death. It's sin. And so, for whatever reason, Moses didn't circumcise his son. And even though God went to do that, he's not bad. God's a good God, and he's a just God. And he was doing exactly what he said he was going to do. But Zipporah... His wife thought so quickly, right, to save her husband's life, to do the right thing. Do you know that Zipporah in, this, in the Bible has 31, over 31,000 verses in the Bible? That's a lot of verses. She gets one about saving his life. That's, there's only one verse about her saving his life. It's easy to miss. But it has a big ripple effect, doesn't it? Moses continues on, and he goes, and he does exactly what God asked him to do, and he freed the people. Her act continued the, the ripple. What she did was important. She said yes to what God wanted her to do, to what he actually wanted Moses to do. And so she did it. It matters. These little things matter. It matters in the Bible. It matters in truth. And it matters to us today. Now I'm going to set you up for the next situation. The Bible actually is going to set you up. In 1 Samuel 6, 19 through 21. 
But the Lord killed 70 men from Beth Shemesh because they looked into the ark of the Lord. They looked at it and died. And the people mourned greatly because of what the Lord had done. Who was able to stand in the presence of the Lord? This holy God, they cried. Where can we send the ark from here? So the messengers sent so they sent messengers to the people at Kirith Jerem and told them, The Philistines have returned the Ark of the Lord. Come here and get it. Are you going? They just killed 7,000 people because they looked at it. I'm not going. I'm shutting my blinds. I'm locking my doors, going out the back door and heading out of town. I don't want anything to do with that thing. Just looking at it killed them. So who's going to do it? Who takes this Ark? On first, in 1 Samuel 7, 1 through 2, it says, So the men of Kirith-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord, and they took it to the hillside of Abinadad, and ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kirith-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. And during that time, all of Israel mourned, because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Now, if you're not sure what the Ark of the Covenant is, or you need to be reminded, it held the two stone tablets from Moses that he wrote the law on. It also was made exactly the way that God wanted it to be made. He gave very specific instructions, and it was made that way. It also was a symbol of God's presence with his people. And so it was hidden away. And so that's why they mourned. And that's also why it's so important. Abinadad stepped up to the plate. He said, I'll take it. Even in fear. I would have been a scared person to take that thing in my house because I would have probably looked in it and I would have died. And so he didn't. He followed the rules. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Again, he stepped up. If the ark wasn't protected, then David wouldn't have been able to come get it. And then David wouldn't have wanted to build, build the temple for, for the ark. And then God tell him, no, Solomon's building it. And then Solomon built it. All these things keep going in the Bible. And so Abinadad, he is important in this very big story. And he had a very small part. He doesn't have a lot of lines in the Bible. He's not a main character. But he's important. Both of these people, Zipporah and Abinadad, did exactly what needed to be done. Was it easy? No. Trust me, I don't want to be Zipporah either doing that. That would have been awful. Was it scary? Yes. It would have been very scary to do both of those things. But they did it. Stepping up's right. I love those YouTube, um, they have this YouTube channel. I don't know if it's a channel, but it's a show on YouTube. And it's called um, What Would You Do? And they have these scenarios that these actors that... Like there's a mom and maybe a, a foster child and they go into a restaurant and then people like us go in unknowing and they're filming and it's, they're being mean and we have these people you know, need to step up and step in and do the right thing when someone's being hurt or harassed or abused or stolen from or whatever it is. And my son and I watch this and we watch it a lot because we really like it. And he always says, like, when it's happening, you're always like, yes, someone stepped up and they did the right thing. And then when someone doesn't, we're always like, oh, why wouldn't have they done something? But in the end of watching every one of those videos, my son says to me, what would you do, mom? And I'm thankful. I don't want to ever be on one of those videos, but I pray to God that I would do the right thing. Because you know what? It matters. 
It's small, but it matters. It can help someone, somewhere, and especially for their future because it keeps rippling. Okay, we're going to move on to the New Testament. In the New Testament, some people said yes to God, right? And they did what God wanted them to do and what Jesus wanted them to do. But today we're looking at some people that didn't do what he wanted them to do. And so we're going to look at Judas, the villain of the Bible, the villain of the New Testament. He betrayed Jesus, and he was in his inner group. Why would he do that? He was right where we all wanted to be, right? People were coming from all over the place to hear Jesus, and they got to see Judas, too, and all, all Jesus' disciples. But he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And guess what? He never got to enjoy his fortune. What he did mattered. In Matthew 27, 3 through 5, it says, When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus was, had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders, and he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed an innocent man. Why do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. They didn't, they didn't give two hoots about him. And then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out, and he hanged himself. Now, we're going to go back a verse or two, or a couple. In Matthew 26, 14 through 16, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, went, one of the twelve disciples, went to the leading priest and asked, How much will you pay me to betray Jesus? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for opportunities to betray Jesus. So why wasn't the 30 pieces good enough anymore? Judas, it doesn't appear that he, looked, he thought they were going to kill him. He thought they were probably going to beat him or throw him out of town or maybe even put him in jail. But when he found out he was being put to death, he wanted nothing to do with it. But why did he betray him in the first place? Maybe he was jealous. Maybe he wanted to be Jesus. Maybe he wanted to do all the miracles. Maybe he didn't like Jesus. Maybe he didn't think that he was the Son of God. Whatever the reason, it mattered, didn't it? And it had to happen, but it mattered because Jesus had to die. And because of what he did, it, he did. Because he betrayed him. That little thing that he did, that choice. Our choices are not big sometimes. We say yes, that doesn't take a lot. It's what happens after the yes, or yes after the no, that, that makes the big difference. Our decisions bring life or death. They bring happiness or sorrow. Those are the choices. Now let's look at another one of Jesus' followers. This is Peter. Peter was pretty awesome. Jesus loved him. He was his right-hand man. He was in the inner circle. And when Jesus was telling him about what was going to happen, Peter said, no, I will never deny you. I will, I will die for you. That's a great and noble thing. I want to say those things to you. I want to say those people, the, the people I love and my friends and my family. But when push came to shove, Peter didn't do the right thing. He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. In Luke 22, 54 through 62, it says, So they, were, they arrested him and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guard lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. And a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, This man was one of Jesus' followers. I'm sure she didn't say it like that. But Peter denied it, and he said, Woman, I don't even know him. 
And after a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. And he said, no, man, I'm not. I'm not. And about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And as soon as he said that, immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. I can't imagine him when you deny him and then he looks right at you. Suddenly the Lord's words flash through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. A small moment in time. A very small choice that he had to make. And he chose wrong. And he was riddled with grief and just disgust for himself. And then Jesus was crucified. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And in the Bible, it says that Jesus was walking with two of the disciples on the road, but they didn't know who he was. God protected them from that, and they, he didn't let them see who he was. And then they, were, they stopped, and they were, gonna, they, were, they were at their destination. And Jesus acted like he was going to keep going, but they talked him into staying. And he stayed, and he was eating with them. And when he broke bread... God revealed to the two disciples who Jesus was. And when they realized it, he disappeared. And then, it says in Luke 24, 34, who said, that's the disciples who were saying this, because they went to the other disciples, the Lord has really risen! And he appeared to Peter. Peter denied him, he left him, and he loved him so much, he went to him specifically and spent time with him. Peter made a mistake. He chose wrong. It mattered and it wrecked him. But Jesus showed individual concern for him. Peter felt unworthy. Peter repented. And Jesus forgave him. He forgives us too. Fear will rule our lives if we let it. I... I'm scared to death of worms. Many of you know this. Many of you chased me with them. And some have made me stick my hand in a jar that felt just like worms. And it was awful, wasn't it, Pastor Seven? At kids' camp. So all the children could see me freak out. And it was awful. But that's an uncontrollable fear. You know, it just, it just gets a hold of me and I can't get away from it unless I run. But um, fear will just make us make choices that we shouldn't make. I should probably stay put when I'm afraid of a worm and not run away from the sidewalk in the house and every other parking lot after it rains, but I do. So fear will control us. Good or bad, it will control us. I took my nephew one time to the aquarium and he, um, he suffers with some disabilities, but he had to go to the restroom. He was like seven. And so I was like, okay, come with me. And I took him in the girls' room. And you know, the girls' room is different than the boys' room. The boys' room has urinals. The girls have stalls. And he went into a stall. And I was waiting for him to come out. And I heard like, you know, a little on the, on the door. He was trying to get, get it unlocked. But he didn't. And within seconds of him trying, out he came from the underneath that stall. Ugh. I was like, what are you doing? Ew, that's so gross. It's a public restroom and ew. But people were waiting to go in that restroom. So I'm like, you got to go back under there and get that unlocked. And he was like, 
I can't. And then I realized what he was doing. I realized that he was paralyzed by fear. He thought he was going to be locked in there forever. He really had no idea what to do. And so he fled. He flew. He underneath the thing as much as he could to get away from the situation. Grosser part, I had to send my son under and get it unlocked because he didn't care about it. But <laughs> he, he fled from a situation that he didn't know how to handle. He didn't know that if he just said, Aunt Angel, can you help me out here? I can't get it unlocked. I would have helped him. He didn't know. He fled. He made a bad choice. No one could get in that bathroom, and there was a big line. So, bad decisions, fear, more bad decisions we make when we have them. We have to be able to overcome that. Peter did. Peter did because he, he repented and Jesus forgave him. One decision that I made a long time ago, I say a long time ago, it wasn't that long ago, but it was long enough. I said yes. It was not to my husband. That was a good decision, but it was to Jesus. It was to Jesus Christ to save my life. When I was a kid, we would go to church all the time. My parents took me. I was in grade school. Teenage-ish years, we stopped going. Why? I don't know. Maybe I said I didn't want to. I don't really know the reason. But I know that after that, I ran. I ran so far, so far away. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus because I knew I had to look in the mirror and see something really ugly. So I made a lot of bad decisions and a lot, a lot of bad choices. And it mattered. You know what? It mattered because it wrecked me. And I was lost and I was hurting and it was not pretty. And then God did send me my husband. And I did say yes, and that was a good decision. And then we made a great decision, and we had our son, Jack. That was a great decision. And then things started falling apart. Our marriage was going downhill. And we were, it was not good. If you've seen a bad marriage, I'm, we were the epitome of bad marriage. It was not a good place to be. And so we were going to get divorced. And then... We decided, let's try one thing. Let's try church. If that works, then we're good. Guess what? It worked. We came to hide, and it was a great decision, and we heard the truth, and we heard that Jesus loves us more than anything, and he forgives us for everything when we ask. And he forgives you too. And so we got saved, my husband and I. And that ripple effect has been phenomenal. I'm standing here today as a pastor because of it. My husband's about to be a pastor. My son is saved. I have family that comes. I have friends that are here. My, my world just opened up to a world of not regretting anymore, not being unloving, not making all the bad choices. We still make bad choices sometimes. But it changed. It changed. And because of that, I, that, that one decision we made, that tiny little decision to come to church, we did. And now look. Look where the ripple effects are. It's amazing. Another little thing that I said yes to after I was coming here about two years, um, someone said to me, will you go to the Revolve conference? It's for teen girls. And I was like, nope. <laughs> But my niece was coming at the time, and she was a young teen, and she said, I would like to go to that. And I can't deny her. I want to teach her about Jesus. I want her to love him and know him like I do. And so I said, okay, I'll go. But I knew some of the people going, so I was really excited. I was going to ride in the same van, and it was going to be a good time, and I wouldn't have to drive, and I'd be totally comfortable. And it would be good, because I don't go in uncomfortable situations, and I don't like to be around people I don't know. And so, right before we left, she said, 
By the way, van's full. You gotta have to ride with someone else. Oh, everything inside of me said, nope, I'm not doing it. And I'll tell you, that's probably the first time I heard God audibly say, you're going. And that was probably one of the first couple dozen things I listened to him about. And I said, okay, I'll go. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, God, don't let this be uncomfortable. Don't let it be awkward. Don't let her like me. Let me like her. Let this whole thing be easy, right? Guess what? It was easy. I found my best friend in Christ. She was here the whole time for two years sitting in front of me. Didn't know it. Didn't even talk to her. She taught my kid in kids' church, but I didn't know her very well. And now, when I'm having a hard time and I need advice and I don't go to my husband, I go to her. And I can tell her things that are hard and no judgment, just love. And so it's important to be here. It's important for you to be here right now, and it's important for you to have these kind of friends too. Because if we have friends that are in the world, the world says do what the world does, right? So when I'm having a hard time with my husband and I'm fighting with him and I want to, I've said this before, hit him with the frying pan. I won't actually do it, but I probably wanted to. She tells me, don't do it. <laughs> like, you just need to love him through this or whatever it is that we're going through. And I do the same thing for her and we lift each other up. And it's a beautiful thing. She's also the person you're going to see for Winter Jam. Um, and so, <laughs> that's a good thing. So I made a good friend in Christ through that little decision that has rippled, rippled, rippled. My husband is good friends with her husband. Our families love each other. We spend time together. And he, my husband even said when I was preparing for the sermon, you know we wouldn't be where we are today without Crystal helping us and leading us and loving us through ugly stuff. It's important. Because God was in the middle of it. That whole trip went well. I have a dear woman as a friend. When God tells you to do something, do it. You will be blessed beyond measure. You won't even know. You won't know how blessed you'll be until you say yes. Another thing that helped our walk with Christ is joining a life group. Someone said, hey, Angel, want to join a life group? Nope. Don't want to do that either. But God said, yes, you do. And guess what? It's going to be in your house. Oh, my gosh. And so we had this life group in our house, and it was awesome. And we made great friends from it. And we grew together. If you're not in a life group, I'm telling you, run. Run right now to one because it is life-giving. You won't just find friends, but you'll find growth in Christ. It's so good to have these things, these people around you that can lift you up. Because we will all fall. We do fall. If you know Jesus, and you have chosen him as your savior and your king. But you're not growing, and you're just checking boxes. I'm at church, check, did my devotion, check, even sometimes went to life group, check. I encourage you to get into the word. Learn about him, make that little choice that has such big ripple effects. If you don't know Jesus and you're choosing him now, or you're a new Christian because you've just chosen him recently, get to a life group. Find people in this church. They will lift you up. They will love you. And you will grow beyond leaps and bounds. And your eyes will be open. And your hearts will love like you've never loved before. I promise. I didn't think I could be this person that I am today. And if you are a Christian and you are growing, I ask that you go out and find someone that doesn't know him. 
You don't have to talk, okay? You can be like my friend that brings food and never says a word, but she shows love. You can be like the little boy that just holds the little boy's hand just to show him that he, he belongs and he's important. You can be like Sephora and answer God when he calls, even in fear. Or you can be like Abinadab and say yes and follow the rules and make the bigger impact. Our parts don't have to be about us. It has to be about him. That's what's important. Do not hide behind this church. Come to this church. Love this church. Be loved in this church, but don't hide behind it. Go be the church. It's so important. It's so important. It matters. These little choices that we make matter. They have big ripples. We might not see the fruit of all the hard work we put in. But trust me, God knows the plan, and you're all part of it. And he loves you, and he forgives you, and he'll redeem you, and he'll make you pure, and you can spend eternity with him if you choose him. And it's just one little choice. Yes. Just say yes to him. Say yes to what he's calling you to. Say yes. Thank you. Will you pray with me, please? Lord God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for each person in this congregation right now, Lord God. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for these small one-line verses that change everything, that matter, that are important, that have a ripple effect, Lord God. I thank you for all these things that happen that we don't know the result. I ask, Lord God, that you humble us, help us to be more like you. Help us to love when no one's looking. Help us to love and be caring and feed the hungry, Lord God, when we don't even need recognition for it. Help us to be more like you. Help us to listen to you. Open our ears and our eyes, Lord. I ask that you help us to grow with you, Lord God. Encourage our hearts to open your word, that we will look there first, always, Lord, and that we'll know that what we seek we can find in you and that you are the only thing that can fill the empty void in our lives. No person can do that for us. Help us to recognize that, Lord. We love you so much, and I just ask that you bless each and every person here today. We ask all these things in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. We do need chairs lifted up, so if you're feeling so encouraged by the Lord to do chairs today, please do that. <laughs>